Chapter Twenty Nine of Doom Castle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Doom Castle by Neil Munro. Chapter Twenty Nine. The Cell in the Foss. By this time the morning was well gone. The town had wakened to the day's affairs. A pleasant light grey reek with the acrid odour of burning wood soaring from chimneys into a sky intensely blue, and the roads that lay interlaced and spacious around the castle of Argyll were, not thronged, but busy at least with labouring folk setting out upon their duties. To them, meeting the wounded form of the chamberlain, the hour was tragic, and figured long at fireside stories after, acutely memorable for years. They passed astounded or turned to follow him, making their own affairs secondary to their interest in the state of one who, it was obvious even to Montaillon, was deep in their affections. He realized that a few leagues farther away from the seat of a justiciary general it might have gone ill with the man who had brought Simon MacTaggart to this condition, for menacing looks were thrown at him, and more than once there was a significant gesture that made plain the animosity with which he was regarded. An attempt to escape, if such had occurred to him, would doubtless have been attended by the most serious consequences. Argyll met his chamberlain with the signs of genuine distress. It was touching, indeed, to see his surrender to the most fraternal feeling, and though for a while the duke's interest in his chamberlain left him indifferent to him, who was the cause of it, Count Victor could not but perceive that he was himself in a position of exceeding peril. He remembered the sinister comments of the Baron of Doom upon the hazards of an outsider's entrance to the Boar's Cave, and realized for the first time that that might mean in this country, where the unhappy wretch from Appin, whose case had some resemblance to his own, had been remorsely made the victim, as the tale went, to world-old tribal jealousies, whose existence was incredible to all outside the highland line. In the chill morning air he stood, coatless and shivering, the high embrasured walls lifting above him, the jabbering menials of the castle, grouped a little apart, much of the language heard savage and incomprehensible in his ears, himself, as it were, of no significance to any one except the law that was to manifest itself at any moment. Last night it had been very gay in this castle, the duke was the most gracious of hosts, here faith was a vast difference may i have a coat he asked a bystander taking advantage of a bustle in the midst of which the wounded man was taken into the castle he got the answer of a scullion a coat exclaimed the man he addressed a rope's more like it and so Count Victor, shrugging his shoulders at this impertinence, was left to suffer the air that bit him to the marrow. The chamberlain disposed of, and in the leech's hands, Argyll had the Frenchman brought to his rooms, still in his shirt-sleeves. The weapon of his offence was yet in his hand for evidence, had that been wanting, of an act he was prepared to admit with frankness. "'Well, Monsieur Montaillon,' said his grace, pacing nervously up and down the room before him, 
this is a pretty matter you have returned to see my pictures somewhat sooner than i had looked for and in no very ceremonious circumstances truly said the count with a difficult essay at meeting the man in his own humour truly but your grace's invitation was so pressing ah c'est grand dommage mais 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 i am not with every consideration in the key for badinage monsieur le duc you behold me exceedingly distressed in the discommoding of your household at your age this he pulled himself up confused a little aware that his customary politeness had somehow for once shamefully deserted him with no intention on his part that is to put the case with exceeding delicacy said the duke at my age as you have said my personal inconvenience is of little importance in face of the fact that a dear friend of mine may be at death's door at all events there is a man if signs mislead me not monstrously near death under this roof a man well liked by all that knew him a strong man and a brave man and a man in his way of genius he goes out as i say hale and hearty and comes back bloody in your company you came to this part of the world monsieur with the deliberate intention of killing my chamberlain that's as heaven which arranges these things without consulting us may have decided my lord on my honour i had much preferred never to have set eyes on your chamberlain come come said the duke with a high head and slapping with open hand the table beside him come come i am not a fool montaillon even at my age you deliberately sought this unfortunate man monsieur the duke of argyll has my word that it was not so said the count softly i fancy in that case then you had found him easy to avoid said the duke who was in an irrestrainable heat from the first oh come sir let us not be beating about the bush and let us sink all these evasions from the first you have designed a meeting with mactaggart and your every act since you came to this country has led up to this damned business that is likely to rob me of the bravest of servants it was not the wind of heaven that blew you against your will into this part of scotland and brought you in contact with my friend on the very first night of your coming here and still monsieur le duc with infinite deference and a coolness that is partly due to the unpleasant fact as you may perceive that i have no coat on twas quite the other way and your bravest of servants thrust himself upon my attention that had otherwise been directed at the real object of my being in scotland at all the duke gave a gesture of impatience i am not at the heart of these mysteries said he but even at my age i know a great deal more about this than you give me credit for if it is your whim to affect that this wretched business was no more than a passage between gentlemen the result of a quarrel over cards or the like in my house ah cried the count there i am all to blame our affair ought more properly to have opened elsewhere in that detail your grace has every ground for complaint that is a mere side affair said the duke and something else more closely affects me i am expected to accept it then that the comte de montaillon travelling incognito in the unassuming role of a wine merchant came here at this season simply from a passion for our highland scenery i had not thought the taste for dreary mountains and black glens had extended to the continent at least it was not to quarrel with the servant i came here 
retorted Count Victor. "'That is ill said, sir,' said his grace. "'My kinsman has ten generations of ancestry of the best blood of Scotland and the Isles underground.' To that, Monsieur le Duc, there is an obvious and ancient retort, that therein he is like a potato-plant, the best of him is buried. Argyll stood before the Frenchman dubious and embarrassed, vexed at the tone of the encounter, and convinced for reasons of his own, that in one particular at least the foreigner prevaricated, yet impressed by the manly front of the gentleman, whose affair had brought a morning's tragedy so close upon the heels of an evening's mirth. Here was the sort of quandary in which he would naturally have consulted with his duchess, but it was no matter to wake a woman to, and she was still in her bedchamber. "'I assume you look for this unhappy business to be treated as an affair of honour, he asked at last. "'So to call it,' replied Count Victor, though in truth the honour, on my word, was all on one side. "'You are in doubtful taste to put it quite in these terms,' said the Duke more sternly, "'particularly as you are the one to come out of it so far scathless. "'Would Monsieur le Duc know how his servant compelled my—my my attentions?' "'Compelled your attentions! I do not like the tone of your speeches, Monsieur. Dignity—' Pardieu, Monsieur le Duc, would you expect a surfeit of dignity from a man without a jacket? said the Count, looking pathetically at his arms. Dignity, I mean the sense of it, would dictate a more sober carriage in face of the terrible act you have committed. I am doing my best to find the slightest excuse for you, because you are a stranger here, a man of good family, though engaged upon a stupendous folly, and I have before now been in the reverence of your people. You ask me if I know what compelled your attentions, as you say, to my chamberlain, and I will answer you frankly that I know all that is necessary. At that the Count was visibly amazed. This was, indeed, to put a new face on matters and make more regrettable his complacent surrender after his affair on the sands. "'In that case, Monsieur le Duc,' said he, "'there is no more to be said.' I protest I am unable to comprehend your grace's complacence towards a rogue, even of your own household. Argyll rang a bell and concluded the interview. "'There has been enough of this,' he said. "'I fear you do not clearly realise all the perils of your situation. You came here—you will pardon a man at my age insisting upon it, for I know the facts— with the set design of challenging one, who properly or improperly has aroused your passion— you have accomplished your task, and must not consider yourself harshly treated if you have to pay the possible penalty. Pardon, Monsieur le Duc, it is not so. Always with infinite deference and without a coat, as I have had the boldness to remark before, my task had gone on gaily enough had your Monsieur MacTaggart not been the victim of some inexplicable fever, unless, as I sometimes suspect, it were a preposterous jealousy that made me the victim of his somewhat stupid folly-play. "'You have accomplished your task, as I say,' proceeded Argyll, heedless of the interruption. "'And, to tell the truth, the thing has been done with an unpardonably primitive absence of form. I am perhaps an indifferent judge of such ceremonies at my age, as you did me the honour to put it.' 
that is only to be expected but we used when i was younger to follow a certain formula in inviting our friend the enemy out to be killed what is this hasty and clandestine encounter before the law of the land but a deliberate attempt at murder it would be so even in your own country under the circumstances monsieur le comte where were your seconds your wine-selling has opened in villainously bad circumstances and you are in error to assume that the details of the coat may be waived even among the highland hills a servant entered take this gentleman to the fosse said the duke with the ring of steel in his voice and his eyes snapping at least there is as little form about my incarceration as about my poor duel said count victor my father would have been somewhat more summary in circumstances like these said the duke and by heaven the old style has its merits too but these are different days though if i were you i fancy i'd prefer the short shrift of long david the dempster to the felon's cell be good enough to leave your sword count victor said never a word but placed the weapon in a corner of the room made a deep conge and went forth a prisoner in the last few minutes of the interview he had forgotten the cold but now when he was let into the open air he felt in his coatless condition more poignant than his apprehension at his position otherwise he shivered as he walked along the fosse through which blew a shrewd north wind driving the first flakes of an approaching snowstorm the fosse was wide and deep girding the four-square castle mantled on its outer walls by dense ivy where a few birds twittered the wall was broken at intervals by the doors of what might very well serve as cells if cells were wanted and it was to one of these that count victor found himself consigned my faith victor thou art a fool of the first water he said to himself as he realized the ignominy of his situation for he was in the most dismal of dungeons furnished as scantily as a cellar fireless damp and almost in sepulchral darkness for what light might have entered by the little window over the door was obscured by drifted snow by and by his eyes became accustomed to the obscurity and he concluded that he was in what had at one time been a wine-cellar as bottles were racked against the wall of his arched apartment they were empty he confirmed his instinct on that point quickly enough for the events of the morning left him in the mood for refreshment it was uncomfortable all this there was always the possibility of justice miscarried but at no time had he any fear of savage reprisals such as had alarmed him when mungo boyd locked him up in doom and the fictitious broken clan cried loch sloy in darkness for this was not wholly the wilds and argyll's manner though stern was that of one who desired in all circumstances to be just so count victor sat on a box and shivered in his shirt-sleeves and fervently wished for breakfast the snow fell heavily now and drifted in the fosse and whitened the world outside therefore all was silent there must be bustle and footsteps but here they were unheard it seemed in a while that he was buried in catacombs an illusion so vexatious that he felt he must dispel it at all hazards there was but one way to do so he stood on his box and tried to reach the window over his door 
to break the glass was easy but when that was done and the snow had cleared away by his hand he could see out only by pulling himself up with an awkward and exhausting grasp on the narrow ledge thus he secured but the briefest of visions of what was outside and that was not a reassuring one had he meditated escape from the window he must now abandon it for on the other side of the ditch cowering in the shelter of one of the castle doors was standing one of the two men who had placed him in the cell there apparently for no other purpose than to keep an eye on the only possible means of exit from the discarded wine-cellar the breaking glass was unheard by the watcher at all events he made no movement to suggest that he had observed it and he said nothing about it when some time later in the forenoon he came with count victor's breakfast which was generous enough to confirm his belief that in argyll's hands he was at least assured of the forms of justice though that in truth was not the most consoling of prospects his warder was a dumb dog a squint-eyed cerberus with what count victor for once condemned as a tribal gibberish for his language so that he was incapable of understanding what was said to him even if he had been willing to converse it is little good to play the guitar on an ass said the frenchman and fell to his viands End of chapter 29